You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. I want to just say this from the bottom of my heart. And uh, when I say the bottom of my heart, I mean it because last Friday I was on an operating table and uh, just went in for my checkup. They said, your widowmaker's blocked 95%. And so they go, we, we got to take you in right now. I go, okay, let's go. Here we go. Let's go. So that was last Friday. So it's really great to be with you today. So our God is an awesome God. So, so, so what I want to tell you is this, is from the bottom of my heart. <laughs> like some people like say that, but I, like, I really mean that. Because when they went in, they, they just, they didn't even know, you know? So this is the first time I've spoken since then. So something happens, Matt's ready. But uh, I'm just, I just told him, I said, I want it done on Valentine's Day. What'd you do with your wife on Valentine's Day? Oh, we, well, it was nothing that special, really. Well, ours was really special. Like, I got my heart fixed on Valentine's Day. So, uh so I said, I want to make sure I've got enough time because I have an appointment, a divine appointment in San Diego, and I've got to make sure my heart's ready. They go, okay, just give it five days, don't do anything. So this is the, about the seventh or eighth day. So, so I'm ready. Y'all ready? So from the bottom of my heart, I'm grateful to be with you, and um, I, want to, I want to talk to you out of really what I believe my life message is, and I believe God's called me to speak into people's spirits an unstoppable spirit, an unstoppable force. In my life, Matt, I haven't asked for this, but over and over, it's proof of that. Like, like God, just, God just shows me some of your journey is to continue to teach people that you can't be stopped. So I, can, I just keep getting back up. Somebody, that's a word for somebody today. You've been knocked down, and you need to get back up. Because you know why? God put an unstoppable spirit on the inside of you. We are not human beings having a spiritual experience. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. And when you get that, this body right here, which God calls his temple, has got to follow what your spirit decides. So anyway, so I came here today to talk to you. I brought some stuff with me, and I don't want to just focus totally on this at all, but I want to tell you about it because this, this is my fingerprint shirt because I'm going to talk about today that God has given you a unique fingerprint to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave. And I'm going to jump into that for just a second. I've got some books that I brought with me and really a whole, you know, I do a lot of coaching and, and Pastor Matt knows that. But like if you can, cannot afford personal coaching, this, this right here is everything uh, people pay me a lot to teach them personally. And today, it's 50% off. I'm doing this, guys, just for you. And normally, it's $190.98, and it's $99 today. And I'm just telling you, that's, that's, like, that's like the stuff. If you, can't, like if you can't afford somebody to speak into your life, just get hold of that, because I'm going to touch on that today. 
Uh, Matthew 16, uh, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, he said, hey, who do you say that I, the son of man, am? Who do, who do you say that I am? And they said, well, some say that you're John the Baptist, that you're Elijah, or others say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then he looked at them and he asked them the same question that he's asking us today. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, I want to stop right here and say this, that Matt has already said that I'm from Texas. And in Texas, like y'all got Mexican food out here in California, and it's real Mexican. But in Texas, we have like our own Mexican. And it's called Tex-Mex. And some of y'all know, and I'm telling you, like if you go to a normal Mexican food place, they don't have queso. But if you go to Tex-Mex, they have queso. And by the way, that is not what's wrong with my heart. I know some of y'all are thinking, well, yeah, okay. You know, you, you need to go plant-based. I am. So my problem is not my heart, and I don't have time to go into it, but I've got this, I've got what the doctors have described as Sherpa blood. Don't Google it right now, but later just remember. It's called superhuman blood. It's part of my strength, but I want you to listen very carefully. The things that are the greatest strength in your life can be the greatest weakness if you don't navigate it well. So I've had to learn at 60 how to navigate this superhuman blood that I have and what we're going to do with it. And thank God for a strong heart because it's like staying strong while we're figuring it all out. Now, my arteries are a whole nother deal. They're like, look, we, we only got so much capacity. So I'm going to, we're fixing that too. But anyway, nonetheless, I'm from Texas and I'm, I'm in a Tex-Mex restaurant. And so our waiter comes up and says, hello, I am Jesus. And I went, Jesus, Jesus, you are here. He goes, yes, how may I serve you? Anyway, it's wonderful. You know, I thought, this is wonderful. Of course, my family's just laughing. And uh, Matt and I share a type of crazy that attracts us to one another. Some of y'all have a crazy flag, nobody sees it. But we have a crazy flag and it's on display for the world to see. Thank you very much for being here today. I hope you enjoy the crazy flag, because I'm about to let it wave before the Lord. So, so anyway, so my family lives with this. Uh, Michaela, I mean, they, they live with this. They, they live with this craziness. So they're just, they, they always go with me and just smile, and they're never embarrassed. That's a great thing, Matt. Your kids aren't going to be embarrassed. They're going to work. They're going to love it, and they will, they will, they will, they'll like be waiting with anticipation. What's he going to say next? That's what's going to happen. The older they get, trust me, they're going to love it. My girls were cheerleaders. Okay, my wife, when my, when my, my son, Josh, who spoke here uh, last year, he, he, was not, he was not athletic. Like, he, he is athletic, but he chose not to do athlete, athletics. Well, when you're an athlete and you have one son, it's like, I figured out he wasn't going to be an athlete when he was six. And I had his soccer uniform on, and, and we're at the soccer game, his first soccer game, and he's running on the soccer field like this. <laughs> looking at his new cleats. <laughs> Checking out his shorts. And all of a sudden, he looks up at me. He, I'm on the sidelines. I'm just looking at him. He goes, I said. <laughs> he runs over towards me. It's his first game. I'm not the coach. 
And he says to me at six, Dad, I'm parched. This was insight. Like, if you'll listen to your kids, you'll know, this is an alien. Where did he come from? This is, this is the part of you that got lost in the crazy flag. It's like, Dad, I'm parched. I go, well, son, let's get you something to drink. So I get him something to drink. I said, now, you see the teams at the other end of the field while we're talking? He goes, yes, sir. I said, see that little white ball? I want you to stay with the group, and I want you to follow the bouncing ball. He goes, yes, sir, but could I get another drink? I go, of course you can, take another drink. Anyway, I knew then it was gonna be really different. So anyway, so, so I digress, now go forward to the story. So my family sometimes, like, they're waiting to see what I'm going to say next. Well, I was, I'm not trying to perform for them. I'm just being me. Well, about two tables over, I hear another waiter say, hello, my name is Jesus. I turn to my family, I go, there are two Jesuses in one Mexican restaurant. There are two Jesus. Anyway, so here's, here's my point. When, when Jesus said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, not you are Jesus, because there were a lot of Jesuses. That's what a lot of people don't understand. Jesus was a common name. So Peter made this proclamation, you are the Christ, which means the anointed one from God, which means you're the one that has the power to do the impossible. In that one statement, he was declaring, you are you are God. You, you are the son of the living God. In fact, he goes on to say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus looks at Peter and he says, blessed are you. Flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my father that's in heaven. And also you're Peter. And upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell can't do one thing about it. Now, Peter, it's not about being built on you but it's about this rock of revelation that if you decide who Jesus is in your life, you become unstoppable. I will build my church. Who's building the church? I mean, we hear about awake and we hear about, man, the, the, the vision for a million people and the vision for campuses and thinking, man, I mean, couldn't we use that money to, to, to feed the poor and couldn't we, couldn't we do this and couldn't we do that and couldn't we just help more people? Why are we so focused on buildings? Because God has called us to take dominion in the earth. That's why we're focused on that. Why? So we can help more people and feed more people and so that there is a house of God that the church can come to. You see, this building is not the church, you're the church. So when Jesus said, I will build my church, he said, I will build you. Now, whatever's in your heart, you go build. And oh, by the way, the gates of hell cannot stop you. So I want to ask you a question today. If hell can't stop you, what else can? You know what happens to us? We not only get stuck but the first part of getting stopped is to get stuck. 
And I could just talk about that all day. But I came to talk to you for a few, just a few minutes about how to be an unstoppable force because that's, that's what God's called you as his son and his daughter to be in the earth. He's called you to be unstoppable in the midst of your struggle. Listen, last Friday when they were taking me into surgery, they didn't know, what, they didn't know for sure what all they were going to find it's like, hey, so, I, so the doctor, by the way, that was going to be doing my procedure, I just asked, happened to ask the nurse, how many of these does he have today? She said, well, so this is 10.30 in the morning. You're number four already today. But we have to create space because we're not sure what happens when we go in in situations like yours. I said, would you do me a favor? I said, would you tell the doctor to come in here? She goes, well, I'm not sure he can do that. I said, I said no, listen, I want you to tell the doctor I'd like him to come in here. So she goes, I'll do everything I can, sir. I'm just not sure, you know, he's so, I said, just, just give him the message. <laughs> that's a good personal assistant, by the way, Matt. It's like, that's what we pay him for, right? It's like, hey, like when somebody calls me, when somebody, whatever, like get all the information. So I knew that nobody else had asked for him before surgery because they were just focused on the surgery, on getting fixed. But he comes walking in, and my Keela was there. Keela is, is half Keith and Sheila. That's my wife's name, Keela, my middle child. I'll talk about her in a minute. But I said, Keela... I want you to take that doctor's hands and I want you to pray over him and I want you to pray over me. And when he gets in there, it's going to be fixed. I said, is that okay with you, doctor? He goes, oh yeah. I just want you to know, hey, on my phone, I've got a picture of Jesus. <laughs> and sure enough, on his phone, he has this picture of Jesus looking over these surgeons. And we had a little prayer meeting before I went into my little heart deal. Anyway, it was awesome. So, so if you're going to be unstoppable, I don't know what struggle you're facing. I know what struggle I was facing last Friday. And by the way, with every struggle, listen very carefully now, comes uncertainty. Part of our problem with any kind of struggle that we have is the uncertainty that comes with the struggle because we never expected the struggle in the first place. I could talk a lot more about that, but I'm going to move on. So regardless of what you're facing today, I want to impart, I want to do my assignment. As freely as you receive, the Spirit of God says in the Word of God, freely you give. And I'm just telling you, God has called me to be unstoppable on the earth as long as there is breath in my body, and that's what I'm going to impart to you in these next few minutes that we have in the name of Jesus. You're not only going to get unstuck, some of you that are stuck, but you're going to get unstopped in the name of Jesus. So here it is, real simple. Number one, if you're going to be unstoppable, you got to know who God is. You have to know who God is. That's what Jesus was saying to his disciples. Who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're Jeremiah, one of the prophets, but who do you say that I am? So, so it doesn't matter what, what uh, Pastor Jurgen or Pastor Matt or your mama or whoever thinks who God is or your spouse thinks who God is. Who do you say that 
God is. Who do you say that God is? And it's so important that you understand that. So, so again, I mentioned Keela to you. So, so she's our middle kid. And, and long story short, I used to travel 40 plus weeks a year. We had a, a team called Strike Force before that was with a group called the Power Team. We traveled, did feats of strength and crazy stuff all over the world, still do. And uh, so, so anyway, I would, I would leave on, on Saturday and get back on Thursday. Sometimes I take my family with me. Sometimes that wasn't possible. Sometimes I just take my son with me. He traveled with me a lot. Long story short, I would always try to get home as soon as I could after the Wednesday night service, regardless of where I was. In fact, we were at the San Diego. One of the largest meetings we ever did was at the San Diego Rodeo here somewhere. And 27 churches came together. We saw thousands and thousands and thousands of people say, but it was very powerful. But, but anyway, so one, one Thursday morning, I got home really early. Sun had just come up. I was trying to be quiet. I come through the door. And all of a sudden, I hear this. And around the corner comes Keela. She goes, oh. And she runs towards me, gets down on her knees, lifts up her hands, and says, welcome home, my prince. (laughs) She then reached down and kissed my right foot and kissed my left foot, put her hand over her heart and said, I'm so glad you're home, daddy. Welcome home, my prince. I had two thoughts. The first thought I had was, where did you learn this? The second thought I had, Michaela, was your mother needs to learn this. Like, that was my second thought. I thought, who doesn't want to be greeted like this? So I said, so I said, so I said, Keila, come here, baby, come here, come here. I go, I want you to go get your mom. Go get your mom. Don't say anything. Just do exactly what you did. Remember, she's only four. She goes, okay. So pretty soon I hear, and I'm still at the front door. She comes around the corner. She goes, are you watching, Mom? (sighs) That right there, ladies. Do you know that most people only have their breath taken away by something negative? Why do we stop letting people that we really loved, we stop letting them take our breath away because in the back of our mind, we start withholding because of what they're not. She goes, she does the same thing. And so I go, baby, I look at Sheila, I go, baby, where did she learn that? She goes, I don't know. I said, well, I think it's a proper greeting. I mean, I, I... She walks over to me. She's laughing. She kisses me and says, what would you like for breakfast? And, you know, that was, uh, Keela is now 31, and uh, that's never happened with my wife. She never followed that example. But, <laughs> but what I can tell you is Keela at 31, Matt, sometimes still. She'll come to the room, and on purpose, she'll go, <sighs> that's who I want praying with the doctor when he takes a catheter and goes through my heart to my widow maker and fixes it. I want that one 
praying over that one and over me. Because here's what happened. She's about 11 years old. And she just kept doing it from that day forward. From four on, every time I'd come home, she kept doing it. So one day, I'm just hugging her. I go, Keela, baby, why do you, why do, you do this? And she goes, she goes like this. I can't do it, but ladies, you'll appreciate it. She goes, and she, <laughs> like she throws her hip out. I don't even know how to do it. It's, it's the same way women hold babies that men, like I would hold my children when they were babies. And I mean, I'm, you know, pretty strong. And I hold them for about three minutes. I go, man, my, I, my arms are tightening up. Like my, my, my back's killing me. I, I go, how do you hold this? They go, well, you, you, you know, I, I can't, it hurts my back to even do whatever. Anyway, she did it. And she goes, what do you mean? She's 11. What do you mean, why do I do that? I said, yeah, baby, why do you? It's, it means so much to me. She goes, because you're my daddy. That's why I do that. So some of you come into this church and you see, you know, Mr. Fashion up here with his hat on, <laughs> worshiping God, <laughs> looking to see who's his next haircut. <laughs> you can look like me if you'll come to my shop. I see the girl over here with the red guitar. Like, that is the coolest thing. I mean, like the guys, of course it's his daughter. Of course. That's the kind of tribe we build around here. I mean, a girl over there on guitar. That is the coolest thing. She must know him. Anyway, you come in here and you go, what's all the excitement? What's all the like hoopla and all that? Let me tell you, I've had the privilege to share the platform with every living president and some that are not, not, no longer alive. Traveled for 30 years, I mean, I'm sorry, 13 years doing 30 events with some of the most well-known people in the world. I can remember the first time, and again, I've met every president, I've been in the room by myself with every president that you could almost list or name since, uh, since Gerald Ford. And I'll never forget one time when Bill Clinton walked in. And I'm in the same room with him, with his Secret Service guys. And I was sitting down, and when he walked in, I didn't go, I didn't just stay seated and go, hey, Bill, Bill, how are you doing? Bill, what's up? <laughs> Something automatically, when the President of the United States walked in the room, regardless of what your politics are, you stand up. Your mama doesn't teach you that. Let me tell you something. When we come into this place, it's not about the president, who he is or who he isn't. It's not about some leader. It's about the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Like, you got to know who God is. That's why we have this response, because we know. Like, why y'all standing up? I mean, why y'all clapping? Why y'all lifting your hands? Why y'all singing karaoke? Why are y'all singing the songs? Where's the bouncing ball? No, it's way more than that. We know who he is. That's why we do it. So, all right, I got to hurry. How do you want to be unstoppable? Come on. Okay. So you got to know who God is. In the good times, in the bad times, in the tough times, in the struggle. But here's the second thing. You got to know who you are. 
Longest prayer that Jesus ever prayed, John 17. He gets to verse 22. It's the longest prayer that's recorded in the Bible that Jesus prayed. And here's what he says. He says, Father, you've given me your glory. Now I give it to them. Now I was raised in church. I knew I needed my sins forgiven. I got forgiven. By nine, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I felt like I was supposed to be called to ministry. I'm nine years old. My parents, my dad was a cop. I'll talk about that in a minute. I mean, it's like I didn't come from any ministry background, and I remember going to the altar, crying out to God as a little child, just saying, God, I just, I just want what you want, God. I don't know what that is. Like, I'll go all over the world. I'll do whatever it is that you want. And my, my mother would be on one side, and my mama would be on the other side, and my dad didn't know what to do with me. And the pastor would come by, and he would just pat me on the head. Here, here's a, like, so what's going on with little Keith today? He's just crying out to God. He's just, here, here's what I want to tell you. I knew I needed to be forgiven. I got forgiven. I knew I needed to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I knew the fruit of the Spirit were important. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, long-suffering, so that when I felt hate, I could access love. When I felt sorrow, I could access joy. When I felt strife, I could access peace. That's what freedom tomorrow night is going to empower you to do. In other words, what is it about? What's freedom about tomorrow night? It's about actually walking this thing out, not just being a believer, but walking a transformational life that when you feel hate and you will, you're able to access love. That's the fruit of the Spirit. When you feel sorrow, and you will, you're able to access joy. When you feel strife, and you will, and some of you do right now, you'll be able to access peace. You see, I knew all that was important, but here's what I'd never been taught, that I'd been given the glory of God. I'm 14 years old. I'm sitting in a church service, and the pastor says, look at your hand. I looked at my hand, so I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Everybody, just put your hand in front of you. Look at your hand. He said, did you know you have a fingerprint that nobody else has ever had? And so I'd heard all that before. You can put your hand down. I'd heard all that before. But then for the first time in my life in 1974, God spoke to me. And he said, and I heard him, he said, to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave. My dad was a forensic specialist. Long story short, he was the first man in the Texas Book Depository, found Lee Harvey Oswald's rifle. He did the initial crime scene investigation of the JFK assassination before the FBI came in and took it over. Why? Because he was the forensics guy. He drove, he was the original CSI guy. He drove the truck there. He got the scene ready. He was the only one up there first. So I grew up in this kind of home with this kind of dad. Knowing how important that I had a fingerprint that nobody else had ever had, in the history of the world, and God had spoken to me as a 14-year-old to leave an imprint that nobody else could leave. And my question to you is, why would God give you a fingerprint at the end of your finger that has the most unique imprint that you could ever have? Let me tell you something unequivocally. It wasn't so you could be identified at the scene of a crime. But that's what man does with it. Until Apple came along with fingerprint technology and said, now at the, at the end of your fingertips is the world. Now it's eyes and facial recognition and all that stuff. And I'm in 2013 when I released my book, it was fingerprint technology. So, so here, here's the deal. Let me just say this. You, you got to know who you are. My, my father, uh, like I said, was a Dallas policeman. He would take me to school in his squad car. And he didn't take me every day, but every day he took me to school in his squad car. This happened. I'd slide right over next to him. I'd put my arm around him. And about the time I was in the seventh grade, I was about as big as my dad. My dad was 5'9". And uh, I still don't know if he's my real dad, but it doesn't really matter. You know? <laughs> I loved him like my real dad. 
Because everybody go, where'd you come from? We're not sure. But uh, mom was, she had a crazy flag. But anyway, so, um, so I'd slide right over next to my dad and we, 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 would, we would ride to school. I'd put my head on his shoulder. And, and, um, and so this happened every day, he took me to school. Same thing, he, we'd, he would never talk. And as he drove me to school, he'd drive in front of school and here's what he'd say. He wouldn't look at me, he'd say, have a great day, Keith. And I'd look at him right in his ear. Every day. I'd say, I love you, Dad. And he couldn't say it, Matt. You know why he couldn't say it? Because he didn't have a dad. I'd say, I love you, Dad. And then I would take his face and I would turn his face towards me every time. Now I'm 11. And I would say, look at me. And he would look at me. And I would say, I love you, Dad. And I want you to repeat this after me. So true. I said, I want you to say I. And he would say, I love, love you. And then I'd kiss him right on the lips. And he'd shake his head and he'd go, okay, Keith, all right, okay, all right. I want you to have a good day, son. Have a good day. My mother one day was giving me the business about that. She said, Keith Allen, that's my middle name. Your father's a public servant. When you're in his squad car, you cannot slide over next to him. You cannot hug all over him. You cannot be kissing him in public. And I remember one day she's telling me that, and I started to break. And I said, Mom, I feel like God spoke something to me. Now, she'd been at the altar with me since I was nine, so she knew God spoke to me. I said, you know how dad didn't have a dad? And she goes, yeah. I said, I feel like God told me to love dad in a way that his dad never loved him. And so my mother goes, yes, that's exactly what your father needs. Yes. I said, I said but mom, listen, I want your permission. I said, I want your permission to hold his hand, to hug him. I said, he doesn't hug me back, mom. It's okay, because I know what I'm supposed to do. But I want your permission, because I'm going to kiss him, I'm going to hug him, and I'm going to love him like his dad never loved him. And so my mom, she's crying now, and she goes, yes, please do. Yes, do that. So I just want to show you this is my dad. Uh, this is the last trip we took together. I have a house in Florida, and anyway, I just took him around on my motorcycle and go to the next picture. This is us on the beach. I was like his gorilla his whole life. <laughs> and then this last picture, I just want to show you. Now, listen, some of you are grossed out by this, and it's okay. Because guess what? That's not who you are. That's who I am. So that's what I'm trying to tell you. Don't be like me. Be the you that God's called you to be. So, so this is the last time my dad came to my church, and somebody caught this picture. Now, what you don't see is that his, where, where are his hands? You know where his hands are? Just like this. Because here's what he did for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life. And he came to Christ at 67. I led him to the Lord when he was 67. For the rest of his life, every time he'd see me coming just like this, he'd put his hands behind his back. His head would be down like this. And right when he would get to me, he would go like this. I'd go, come on, Dad. 
I'd kiss him. And every time he'd do a little hockey, head shake. Okay. All right. When I got married, he was so happy. I'm not sure what that was all about, but it was like, oh, thank God. I mean, I didn't know if he thought. I don't know what he thought. But listen to this. I want to close with this. If you're going to be unstoppable, you've got to know who God is. You've got to know who you are. The strongest people are not A-type personalities. The strongest people are people who know who they are in God. But here's the last thing, and then you've got to know what you're put on the earth to do. My mother had left the house, and she um, went to a choir banquet. I was a little baby. She put me in a playpen that was about bed height, and she took her dress out of a laundry clothes bag, and she laid it on the bed, didn't think one thing about it. My mama had come over to take care of me, and long story short, uh, my mama told, or my mother told my mama, hey, I've just laid him down for a nap. Just check on him, you know, in about 30 or 45 minutes, and, and, uh, but he's fine. After about 30 minutes, my brother walked into the kitchen where my mamma was. He was about two and a half, and he said, Mamma, Mamma, Keith saw blue. Well, she didn't think anything about it. And he came in again about 10 minutes later, Mamma, Mamma, Keith saw blue. So she thought, I better go check on him. So she went to the room, my mother's bedroom, where she had left me in a playpen, again, bed height. And she didn't realize it, but when she looked over into that playpen, uh, all she saw was shiny. She couldn't figure out what it was. And, and I was blue, and there was blood everywhere. She reached down into the playpen. She picked me up with a plastic bag that enveloped itself. Somehow that had gotten from that bed into my playpen. And it had suffocated me to death. And I was bleeding out my nose, my ears, my mouth. And I was dead. I was gone. And so she called the emergency number to make a long story short. Uh, she went out. She stood on our corner, 4416 West Clarendon in Dallas, Texas. And she prayed. And as she prayed, I was gone. And blood was just because she was just, it was all over her as well. And uh, 10 minutes passed, 20 minutes passed. At about the 30 minute mark in 1961, a fire truck comes screaming down our road, and a fireman by the name of E.R. Kaufman jumps out and he says, I'm so sorry. The ambulance had a flat tire. We picked up the call. How long has he been like this? She said, I can't even tell you. I think I've been standing out here 30 minutes. She goes, ma'am, I think he's gone, but we'll do everything we can. And they did. They tried oxygen. They tried mathematicization. And they pronounced me dead on the scene. In that process, my dad, again, who was a Dallas cop, arrives. He sees this, witnesses this. They put a sheet over me. And then my mamma prayed a prayer something like this. Like you'll hear tomorrow night in this room. God, you're the giver of life. And the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead not only dwells in me, but dwells in my grandson. So right now, I pray that that same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead, that it would raise him from the dead. And when she prayed that prayer, the sheet blew off of me, my eyes popped open, and my mamma went into this little, you know, sort of, some of y'all aren't from that, so you don't know. She went into that whole Holy Ghost thing. The fireman was astounded. And this would be a cute little story if it wasn't documented. 
So on the front page of the Dallas Morning News, which at this time was the largest newspaper in America, on Thanksgiving Day, November 1961, here's what the caption read, a Thanksgiving blessing. Young Keith Allen Craft will be a real life Thanksgiving blessing this year to his parents, Mr. and Miss James M. Craft, his grandmother, Miss Fred Ferguson, and his brother, Bruce Craft. The boy suffocated, but was brought back to life earlier this year. And they did a whole article about the miracle working power of Jesus Christ. Now, now, can I just tell you, I want, you to, I want to show you one more thing and then I'm done, Pastor Matt. That woman in the back is my memo. You know what gift God gave me my whole life is she lived with us. The woman that prayed me back to life lived in our home. But this isn't the story. This is 1961, but let's go back to 1955. In 1955, she received the worst news any woman could ever receive back then and even now. She had breast cancer, stage four. They didn't have the technology like they have today. They said, we've got to remove your breast. It's, it's pretty much over. They gave her days to live. When my grandfather heard about it, he took that occasion to leave her with her best friend. And long story short, six years later, she didn't have any breast. She was divorced. It didn't look like God had answered her prayers. But that day when I needed my miracle, she walked out on a curb. She stood, she prayed, she believed. And 60 years later, I'm still breathing and still alive and still, why? Because she had an unstoppable force, an unstoppable spirit on the inside of her. So I want you to stay standing for a minute because now I'm about to prophesy over you. Now I'm about to speak over you. Now I'm about to declare over you. I don't know where you've been stuck. I don't know what's going on in your life right now. I don't know how you've been stopped, but I came here to tell you, Matt, the devil hadn't quit trying to kill me. He hadn't quit trying to kill me, but I keep getting back up. I keep saying, you know what, God, it's not over. Do you say it's over? So guess what? Doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It doesn't matter what the doctors say. It doesn't matter what your own body is saying. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in this world. And that's what makes you unstoppable. So now I'm gonna speak over you. In the name of Jesus, I declare over your life that from this day forward, you will operate not as a mere human, not as just a woman, not just as a man, but you will begin to operate as an unstoppable force in the earth. I speak over your life that nothing can stop you. Why? Because if the gates of hell can't stop you, if the devil can't stop you, nothing else can. Now, to every person here that needs to hear this, I speak encouragement into your spirit. I speak an awakening spirit into your spirit. And in the name of Jesus, whatever you decide today, God is gonna empower you to do like never before in the name of Jesus. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.